So we're starting. All right. So I've been looking forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. What we're going to be looking at is apologetics. Uh, it comes from the Greek word apologia. Uh, I gave you the little Greek there too, uh, which when translated is an apology, but really in the sense of a defense, but it's really a reply or an answer. Um, first of all, before we even get started on all this, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, as to why um, and, and really what the purpose of this study is going to be. It's going to be a series of studies. It's going to be, it's going to take a while to get through all this. Uh, I'm going to be introducing most of these, but uh, again, so uh, a little bit of background. Um, Y'all know that I start reading the Bible in order to argue against Christianity. Right? Um, well, once I came to Christ, I, I just couldn't get enough uh, information. I, couldn't, I, I just couldn't get enough um, either preaching about him, uh, teaching about him, uh, singing you know, songs of praise to him, praying, um, all of that that's involved there. But in my exploring after who um, especially contemporarily, you know, I didn't, I don't, I, you know, I didn't come to know about uh, a lot of the historical figures that I ended up learning later on, um, except through three specific people I really want to kind of introduce to y'all. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, he was an apologetic uh, um, itinerant minister. He would go to different forms, different locations, different settings, uh, and, 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 and preach Christ for uh, uh, the conversion of people. He would go to universities, uh, he would go to the Middle East and preach there, uh, and, and, uh, but he was more of an apologetic preacher, uh, and I learned a lot from him. Uh, he uh, was a big reason, he kind of introduced me to C.S. Lewis, uh, G.K. Chesterton, so a lot, some of the historical figures that, I've, that have heavily influenced me really came by way of uh, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, R.C. Sproul kind of bridges these two together, so let me go ahead and, uh, Alistair Begg, I think, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is the closest contemporary preacher that uh, embodies a faithful preacher. Um, that, you know, that's not to say there are none other, and, and I mean, John Piper is one, John MacArthur is another, I mean, there are others, but he's... He's a main reason why I looked into preaching. Uh, he's a big reason that influenced uh, where I started reading Jonathan Edwards, uh, the, the preacher of the Great Awakening. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and Spurgeon is and was a great preacher, but I just, I mean, all I have are books. You know, they're dead, you know, they're gone. So, and you know, we didn't have microphones or anything back then, so all we have are books. Um, so, but R.C. Sproul kind of bridges these gaps. Uh, he, he has helped me learn a lot about theology, so the study of who God is, uh, and philosophy. Um, and, and that's what we're really going to be looking at here. So on Sundays, it's not um, an academic course in theology, but I do teach, and, and purposefully, I do teach you some theology through that study. And in this, this study is going to be more of a philosophical uh, context. It's going to be more of a, uh, an intellectual exercise. So you are going to have to put your thinking caps on a little bit. I mean, this is going to be, this is going to be a ride. I want to take you for a ride. And, and so I'm going to get to that here in a second. But R.C. Sproul helped, 
especially introduce historical figures that have heavily influenced me. Uh, Augustine, Saint Aug- I mean, I wouldn't have known. I don't know if I would have known, but he, he's, so these, are cont- these two have passed fairly recently. He's still around, uh, but he was, he's, he's a driving factor of much of what I've learned and much of what uh, I've, I've, I've sought after and the purpose for which I sought after it. Um, so early on, when I first uh, uh, again became became a Christian, yeah, that's just gonna keep on going. Um, again, I just couldn't get enough. I, I was consumed uh, with with my faith, and and I just couldn't get enough. And so I stu- But when I studied, in particular, uh, philosophy and uh, apologetics, that helped ground my faith. That helped strengthen my faith. Uh, again, the purpose for this. Uh, in specifically is to help, and that uh, the, the our Sunday uh, get-togethers is to help y'all know what we believe and why we believe it okay the, the purpose of this isn't necessarily to help you argue to help you you know proclaim uh, and, and, and articulate the things of Christ the purpose of this is really to internalize it in you. I am after your minds and your hearts. I want you to know that at the outset. I, I'm not you know, some, some indifferent uh, figure here. I have a purpose for this, and I'm absolutely after your mind and after your heart. Uh, and, and, but in so doing, you, you, will, you will solidify your faith even more. Uh, so, in fact, on the back end, um, a lot of, uh, uh, of a lot of this uh, studying and a, uh, a lot of this seeking after. Um, so just like I started reading the Bible to uh, argue against Christianity, I started reading different atheists. I actually have a lot of atheist books down there, and 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 seeing where their intellectual flaws are, their philosophical flaws, their uh, their worldview, their epistemological flaws, really, which is what we're going to look at. And, and, and another thing, what I want to uh, really emphasize also is I know a lot of this seems, again, academic and maybe, uh, maybe a lot, but, but, but my, point, my, uh, the, my part in this is to simplify a lot of this, okay? Um, but, th- but again, so what I am after is your mind and your hearts. Uh, to infuse that personal, uh, internal realization of your faith, okay? Where it's not something, it's not something you just learn about, it's who you are. Um, and this helped solidify it for me uh, in a major way. This is, so theology used to be called the queen of the sciences, and philosophy was her handmaiden. And that's largely what I what I what I intend to do with Sundays, being again more of theological, and and we'll get to what that means, and then this one uh, more philosophical, more of a more of an intellectual. I mean, that's intel- obviously that's intellectual as well, um, but but it's in a different context. So that's kind of the prelude there. Apologetics, the word, the how we get uh, the Greek word apologia, uh, insofar as Christianity goes, is in First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. Uh, but we'll, I'm actually going to start at thirteen, um, and and it goes like this: And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So, the apologia comes in the defense. In, chapter, in, in verse 13, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So that's a two-edged sword as well. It's not just to always be ready to give a defense, but there must be that hope there. The, the, the defense rests on the hope. And that's what, again, that's, that's at, the, at the outset, what I want to emphasize, and what I want to make a point of is that I don't want to teach you a bunch of rules to follow in order to evangelize to somebody, in order to uh, um, speak Christ to somebody. These are things... These, these will change your framework of thinking. Okay, so let's just get into it. These, these all I'm going to get into in much later down the series. These are going to be the next few weeks. Um, and these are uh, kind of what we're going to get into uh, here in just a second. Uh, real quickly, though, the, the, in the Greek context, so uh, early in Christianity, and we're going to look at, so giving a defense for the hope that is in you largely what we're going to look at in the book of Acts begins with the Jew and the Jewish context. And so we're going to wait and we're going to look at that context in different contexts uh, um, in, uh, in the book of Acts. But logos, remember, that's the Greek word for word. So in John's gospel where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that word is logos. Uh, and, and so in the in the ancient Greek uh, philosophical perspective, that was a huge word. So the Greek um, philosophers in ancient times were looking for ultimate reality. They were looking from the, for the one unified uh, force, so to speak, that brought all the diversity together. You, you look outside, you see a bunch of different people, you see trees, you see, uh, you see different animals, and they all uh, make according to their kind, and they all exist. Uh, in different frameworks, but they're all unified with it, and they all uh, act according to a principle, but, but there's so much diversity. What's the one thing that brings all these things together? So unity in diversity. That's where we get universe or university. It's the unity in the diversity. What's the one thing that brings all these together? And I'm not going to get into, we'll get into a lot of that later, but the, the word that they thought, so the ultimate reality that they emphasize in different contexts and we'll look at Aristotle's uh, after a little bit, but in different contexts, uh, was was the ultimate reality. It, it, the Logos was the one that brought, uh, it was the essence, it was the ultimate reality that, that, that brought meaning, that brought purpose, and brought um, everything, uh, all of the diversity in one union. Um, and what, so when uh, uh, John uses the word Logos to introduce Christ, I, I, this is a huge, this is a watershed moment in history. Uh, everything changed. The Greek thought that it was just this essence. It's just this impersonal thing that existed that brought everything. And what John is saying and what the apostles are saying is that's a person. That's God. 
God is the uni- you know the uniter of all of the diversity because He's the one who created all things. Uh, again, by Him and through Him, all that was made. Nothing was made. You know, nothing that was made was made without Him. Uh, kind of a thing. So, th- just real quickly, that's to introduce the word logos. Um, these real quickly. So theos. I, I talk about theology. Uh, so that's now. Here's another word real quickly because we're going to be doing this a lot. Uh, etymology. Now that sounds fancy, right? Etymology. That's just the breakdown and the origin of words. So monotheism. So theos is the Greek word for God. Okay. Mono is one. So monotheism means the belief in one God. Polytheism. Poly means many. So there are many gods. Pantheism, pan is everything. You've, I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've heard the expression, all is God and God is all, or God is all and all is God. But whatever. Atheism, a, the A in the Greek is basically a negative. So it's a non-theism. They believe, they don't believe in God. Agnosticism is, the Greek word is gnosis, and that means knowledge. And so it's to not know. It's just basically saying, I don't know, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And we'll look in, we'll look at, the, but these are basically kind of the five main um, uh, theories of God that kind of exist today. Uh, animism comes into both polytheism, but we don't, but those are going to wait till later. I just want to introduce you uh, to the words and how the words break down uh, specifically, but, but particularly how they apply to, uh, this is where we are, (laughs) we're monotheists, we believe in one God, and we're going to get into the Trinity later on and how that looks like, how that looks. Okay, let's move, go ahead and move on to um, most of what I want to talk about today, and then introduce a bit of the rest. So, notitia, again, these are, in, in the study of apologetics, in the science of apologetics, uh, we we all we all believe as theology as theologians or as Christians that God uh, saves ultimately God saves right our faith is from and by God right so that's really fiducia uh, fiducia is that personal abiding faith it's it's a it's a living and I'll get to that notitia is just information it's data it's just it, so in the context of Christ it's who and what he did the ascensus is the intellectual assent. It's, it's, it's hearing that information and agreeing to that information. Okay, now this doesn't exist without these, right? Okay, so the real person, so uh, sometimes, some, well, let me, let me just get, this only exists with these two. You can have either of these and not have this, and you can have both of these and not have this. Okay, the fiducia ultimately is the true abiding faith, which necessitate. A lot of times you'll hear Christians saying, uh, um, "I don't need doctrine. I don't need to hear, you know, the test. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to, you know, I just, I just need Christ. You know, no creed but Christ uh, is kind of their their calling card. It, but without the information, you don't know who you're believing." There's no real abiding faith there. 
Um, and, and you'll also have people who give intellectual assent to the information. They will find it compelling. Uh, they, the, 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 the testimony of the gospel, they will find it compelling, they will find it makes sense, but they will not actually believe in Christ. And, and so we need these two. So in order to uh, uh, um, evangelize somebody, in order to preach for the conversion of people, you do need these two. But these two don't save. Without them, though, you are not saved. Okay, you are saved only by faith. Um, so uh, remember, I told you how Paul talked about, you know, we're not justified by works, but only justified by faith. Remember, sola fide. Remember that? Um, but then remember later on, James says, you know, you, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So Luther came up with a, you know, again, you usually use Latin. So uh, he, he exclaimed, what faith is, is really a vive fide. It's a living faith. It's a faith that ex that executes and is fruitful, and it's a true living faith. And that's that's Christianity. That's that's how we believe, and that's in whom we believe. But that's the true faith. Fiducia is just the word for the true faith. Without the information. And without the assenting to that information, we don't have. However, you can have one of these and not have this. You can have both of these and not have this. That's important to recognize. What you cannot do is this. Y'all can't do this. None of us can do this. Only Christ can do this. Only the Spirit can do this. You can help with this, and you can help with this. The information is largely what we're going to be learning about on Sunday and a little bit uh, on, on Wednesdays insofar as the theoretical and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the data specifically of what that entails. But Sundays also include that. But the intellectual ascent obviously depends on the person. And we're going to look into that uh, in a little bit too uh, because you'll be surprised. Uh, on how obstinate people are uh, against believing. But that's ultimately what not only our goal is, but this is what, <laughs> this is who we are, and we necessitate these, okay? We, we necessitate the data, we necessitate the doctrine, we necessitate the creed. We need to know who, who, in whom we believe. We need to know about the person. We need to know about his doctrine and his teaching. And we need to ascend to that. You know, without that, we don't have that. But you need the information. So that's critical on mostly Sundays. And again, we'll look at that in different ways going along. Does that make sense, though? Is that kind of, I mean, that's a pretty simple thing, right? Right? These are these are fancy words, notitia, sensus, fiducia, so that's pretty easy, right? It's just information, data, the intellectual ascent, but ultimately for the goal, the ultimate goal through Christ is the personal abiding faith. That's all that is. Okay. To introduce a few things that we're really gonna be concentrating on um, in the next few weeks, this this is how it starts. This is this is where we are going to start reconstructing, reconstructing your intellectual framework. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody sees the world away. You have a belief. 
And a lot of times that belief can be wrong. Uh, and and let me let me just get into this real quickly. So again, we talked about logos. Um, so logic uh, is actually a, a derivative of the word uh, logos. Aristotle called logic the organon of all sciences, really of all knowledge. Uh, logic is the tool, the instrument. It's not a science in and of itself. None of these are a science in and of themselves. What the, the information I'm going to tell you isn't really information in and of itself. It's how we gain information. Uh, so logic is really the tool of any phil phil uh, philosophy or any, I mean, anything. Uh, it's, it, it, but ultimately, the, the, the framework of how we apply that is called epistemology. That ultimately, again, another fancy word, but this is critical. I will overemphasize, this is critical. This is how we know what we know. This, I can't overemphasize enough, is something I'm going to stress over and over and over and over. The main, the four main principles of epistemology, again, the, this isn't a science in and of itself, but these are the categories by which we can know what we know. Okay, real quickly, the law of, I put this non in brackets because sometimes it's called the law of non-contradiction, sometimes it's called the law of contradiction, doesn't matter, it's still saying the same thing. Now that, what the basic uh, formula for that is uh, A cannot equal A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. We'll get to that in a second. It breaks down easily. This isn't difficult. But where this comes into uh, effect, especially in our culture, is relativism. So I'm sure you've heard the truth or the, the, the phrase something in effect of, well, that's your truth. I have my own truth. Everybody has their own. You know, as long as you believe uh, you know, as long as your uh, belief is is uh, sincere, then then that's your truth or whatever. Everything's relative. Well, objective truth is not relative. If I say this ice cream is good, that's that's a subjective statement. It's still a statement of truth. I can't say this ice cream is good and not good at the same time in the same relationship. So I, I, I can be a father and a, I can be a father and a son, right, at the same time. But I can't be a father and a son at the same time in the same relationship. I can be a father in one relationship and a son in another, right? So, but, I, but those two are different. But you, I can't be a son to my son and I can't be a father to my father, right? So the law of, now you would be shocked how many times that is broken? You would be shocked, uh, especially uh, in regards to the Trinity. So real quickly, the way I want to kind of illustrate this is, is, is an old friend that we're not going to name, uh, you know, because I'm not going to broadcast his name. Y'all are familiar uh, with the name. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. We would get into heated discussions when I first came to Christ and when I first learned about all these things. I wasn't a very meek and mild Christian. I was kind of fiery uh, uh, guy, and uh, we'd have uh, some pretty fierce back and forth sometimes. But one of the things, uh, so I remember one time we were talking about what, one of his big hang-ups with Christianity is that it's an exclusive religion. Uh, it, it, it says that uh, basically you need to believe this 
otherwise you're condemned, right? And what, I'm tr what I was trying to emphasize to him is truth by definition is exclusive. Objective truth by definition is exclusive. Uh, and, and, and through all these different categories, we even got into, so, cause you know, he, he kind of liked to think, so, uh, another axiom is, you know, so religions are fundam fundamentally the same and superficially different. That's nonsense. Religions are superficially the same, but fundamentally different. You can't have, so monotheism and polytheism cannot exist at the same time and in the same relationship you can't at the same time say there's one god and at the same and the other hand say there are many gods at the same time and in the same relationship you might categorize as, as separating them and that that's at least logical that's at least uh, coherent but you can't have one god and many gods at the same time and in the same relationship that's where a bunch of people will attack the trinity and we're going to look at that another time. That's not as difficult as you think. The Trinity is incredible, uh, but 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 the argument, you know, the argumentation necessary to uh, defend uh, the 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 uh, doctrine of the Trinity isn't all that difficult. Um, so yeah, so he, he and so we go back uh, back and forth, and, and and I even introduced a, a religion called Baha'ism. Baha'ism is basically uh, taking all the religions. And saying they're all one religion. We're the religion of all the religions, and that's easy to refute. You exclude the exclusivists. You say you're the religion of all the faiths, but the the Christian is saying no. There is only one God. There is only one Christ. There is only one Lord, and so I don't have anything to do with Buddha. So, but you exclude me by say, even when you're saying you're including everybody else, and and so we went through all this, all this stuff. And but I, but I, I, I we got to a point where it was pretty much logically irrefutable uh, that that you can't have that. And so, basically, I said some of the effect of logic necessitates that this is so. And he basically said something to the effect of he doesn't believe in lo logic. I think it was a law of non-contradiction. Non I don't remember what it was. And at that time, I should have just, I should have stopped. At that time, I should have stopped. Because that's what we're getting to. If, if you get to the point where the other person is basically saying that their, their belief system is irrational, you're done. <laughs> Your job is over. <laughs> you know? And that's basically what he was saying that didn't end there. But that's, that's uh, a slight introduction into the law of non-contradiction, or law of contradiction. Again, basically the formula being A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. Think about the father son thing. Think about however you need to think of that. I, I can't emphasize enough how much that gets broken. Okay, secondly, and again, these are, I'll get into, we'll break these down uh, in individual uh, um, classes, whatever we want to call it, the get-togethers. Um, the second principle is the law of causality. So the, the basic tenet of that is every effect must have an antecedent cause. So a cause before it. Every effect must have a cause, uh, necessarily. And you look out, everything that's around us has been caused, right? Uh, but everything is an effect. Now, the way I'll illustrate this is using uh, the old uh, uh, 20th century, early 20th century atheist Bertrand Russell. 
uh, when he read uh, John Stuart Mill's, who's also an earlier atheist, uh, John Stuart Mill's had uh, written basically that um, uh, if everything uh, must have a cause, then something must have caused God. And whoever and whatever caused God must, must have had a cause, if everything has a cause. And so he was, he was refuting essentially the law of causality, but in particular how that applies to uh, uh, theism. Um, but and, and Bertrand Russell bought into this. He said when when he was not, when he was seventeen years old, he was a Christian at first, sort of. Uh, but he really uh, was uh, was convinced through the cosmological argument or the the the, the causal argument. Uh, and we'll look at cosmology later. There are a lot, of, but anyway, um, he was convinced that obviously nothing comes from nothing. Remember, I've told you Augustine's Creed. Uh, uh, ex nihilo, nihil fit, out of nothing, nothing comes. He was very convinced by, by that uh, early on. But then in 17, he read John Stuart Mills, who said, if everything must have a cause, then necessarily uh, God must have a cause. Now, logically, that's true. If everything must have a cause, then necessarily God must have a cause. What he didn't realize, and what he didn't take into consideration is this. It doesn't say everything must have an antecedent cause. It says every effect must have an antecedent uh, cause. It must have a cause that comes before it. Even uh, uh, Aristotle, referring to his concept of God, called him the uncaused first cause, or the unmoved mover. That's really uh, in the sense of energy. Uh, when uh, Anything that stays at rest tends to stay at rest, unless exercised uh, by an outside uh, force, right? Uh, and the same thing applies. So he's the uncaused first cause, and the, he is the unmoved mover. Uh, so it was just a breakdown in the essence, in the, in the absolute uh, soul, if you want to put it, of this principle. So this is where, so again, when I started reading atheists and trying to learn where, where they're philosophy is breaking down where the, where where their uh, etymology or their I'm sorry their epistemology is off uh, Bertrand Russell was easy uh, you know that started at an early age and and he lived that way until he died never realizing the uh, the uh, that critical and fairly elementary uh, mistake the third is it's called a bunch of different ways but uh, I like one way, and this is the way I'm using, and this one too. Basic reliability of sense perception. How we, you know, we see with our eyes, we hear with our ears, we taste, we smell, all the senses, you know, all the senses that the body has. Now, we can be, this, this can be deceiving sometimes. Uh, in fact, if I put my thumb up and I looked at Jude's head, his head disappears. You know, does that mean his head is the size of my thumb? No. Uh, so, but people would get, uh, in particular in Augustine's time, so I'm going to use Augustine's a quick illustration. In Augustine's time, there were a couple of different kinds of skepticism, but one kind of uh, academic skepticism was that uh, you couldn't rely on sense perception because, because of these illusions like that, right? And Augustine made a simple illustration, and it's called, it's, it's called a bent or. It's fairly famous. It's well known. Uh, but but basically it's a bent or. So you're in a rowboat, 
You know, you're on the river, you're on the lake, whatever you are. Uh, you're on a rowboat, you got a paddle. It's an oar. Uh, and you put it in the water and it bends, right? You stick it in the water and it's bent, right? It looks bent. Now, is the oar really bent? Or is it just a cause by the refraction uh, in the sunlight or whatever? Uh, well, if such things exist, so if these illusions exist, how can we depend on our senses? You know, you look into the thing, you, you, you can obviously know, this is just an illustration though, like we do know about refraction and all this kind of thing, but if these things exist and we don't know about them, how can we actually depend on our sense perception? So he was saying, now I, he basically said, I might be wrong about what the ore is doing, but what I can know for sure is that I'm perceiving the ore. The ore is there. I can see it. That's the, the sense perception. So the dependability of that might fluctuate. The, the reliability, the, the utter dependence on it might fluctuate. Uh, but it's, it, it is essential in attaining knowledge. It, it is essential in, in how we know what we know. Lastly, and quickly, uh, the analogical use of language. Uh, analogical in the sense, sense of uh, uh, analogies. Uh, so basically the utilization of language to talk about uh, a transcendent God is one way of uh, illustrating this. So um, God is holy, right? And some people uh, in fairly, not too, uh, not too long ago, have, uh, have said that God is holy other. And insofar as like he is just totally categorically absolutely apart from us. The Muslim kind of believes that actually, and we'll get into that much later, but in a way, uh, but, uh, but that he's totally other. So that any, any uh, all of this that I'm talking about him, uh, all of our Sunday, even the Bible is nonsense. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing that can act adequately explain God in the broken framework of our language and the broken framework of who, you know, ourselves kind of a thing. Uh, and so what we have to do, because we don't have uh, adequate uh, descriptions, because it's true, we don't have, he is not wholly other. If he were wholly other, we could not know him uh, at all. Um, but he is, he has given us, first of all, his image, but the way we talk about him sometimes, like I've told you, has, is necessi necessarily in negative terms. When we say he's infinite, we're saying something that he's not. We're saying that he's not finite. Uh, when we say he's um, infallible, it uh, means he's not fallible. He's absolutely perfect. He's uh, incapable of change uh, or corruption or anything wrong. He's absolutely perfect. Uh, but then we use uh, other words like uh, omniscience. Omniscience is the positive side of that. Omni meaning all, and science meaning knowledge. He's all-knowing, omnipresence. And we'll look at all of that later on, but it's the breakdown of utilizing language uh, uh, analogically. And, and this one's more of a different, you know, I'll probably have two on that one. So this, this is kind of a poor uh, introduction on that one, uh, but that's the best I can do in the little time <laughs> I don't want to spend uh, introducing it. Uh, so... I mean, that's, that's basically it um, in a nutshell. 
Uh, so it, again, in the next four to five weeks, we'll be looking at, it, at this exclusively, um, with this being the, the, the main principle, uh, epistemology, how we know what we know, why, what we believe and why we believe it internally and in our souls and in our hearts and particularly in our minds in order to articulate that. It's much like, it's kind of like, again, it's kind of like a handmaiden of it, but it's kind of like you can't follow the law by rote, right? If you try to follow each commandment, you're going to get lost. Just like the, 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 the chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, you know, if you try to check off of the, all of the things that's mandated within the uh, context of love, you're going to lose yourself. I don't want you to lose yourself in just all this information. What this helps do is set out the rules by which we play. These are the rules. These are kind of the categories by which we play the game of knowledge. How we know anything at all, and particularly how we know truth uh, compared to falsehood. How we can distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. That's all this is. This will be essential, and I guarantee you, you will, you'll uh, break it every now, every now and then. But knowing these, and once you can internalize them, helps you understand everything. Helps you understand everything, and therefore uh, be able to um, uh, communicate it uh, to others for the glory of Christ.